Welcome to the podcast of Leeds First Methodist Church. We are so glad you decided to tune in with us today. The following sermon was preached by Pastor Chris, and it is the third sermon in our church's A Season Set Apart series. If you would like to watch the entire worship service, you can do so by visiting our website at leadsfirst.org, and at the top of the page, go to Worship and click Online Worship. Thank you, Advent readers and candle lighters. It's good to be back. My name is Chris Stallings. It's my privilege to get to be pastor here at Leeds First Methodist Church. My thanks to Joseph and the worship and tech teams for leading in worship last week. A, a great job. I got to watch that online. It was very nice, very nice. They do such good work. Y'all thank them. I think everybody's still sleepy this morning. I tried yelling at everybody when they came in. Merry Christmas! I don't know if it woke up enough of y'all or not. Well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> a season like no other. We have those hopes when we start a new sports season. When our little league baseball team starting off, we think they're going to win it all this year. Or our football team. Sometimes those expectations are met, but usually when Christmas or December rolls around, we have the expectation of the best Christmas ever. Be the best decorated house ever until the tree falls over. Be the best presents given ever until they said, I got one of these at the other grandparents. Or maybe even the best presence ever or the fellowship ever until one of the family members brings up politics or that thing we're not supposed to talk about around the family table. But the expectation of Advent and the arrival of Christmas are even bigger and offer greater results. And so our series in the month of December has been a season set apart for those kind of expectations are met. We've been guided by a key verse from Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 1, and it reads, Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence. Today, in the third part of our sermon series, season set apart, sanctify, sanctify, that season. Christmas is a kind of sentimental time. Got a survey question for you. Are there any pet lovers in the house? Some of you are like standing up, <laughs> doing a cartwheel, doing jumping jacks. Oh, me, me, me. All right, I'm going to ask a more divisive question. Y'all ready for this one? Oh, of dogs or cats, which are your favorite? Dog lovers? All right, hands down. Cat lovers? Oh, I see a few. I'll admit, I'm with the majority. I love dogs. I did talk with one cat lover, and she admitted dogs are the more relational 
and loyal. Dogs can be like family, even sometimes feeling like our very own kids. Cats at their very best, y'all tell me if this is true, feel like a high-maintenance date that might decide to call you back in a day or 12 or never. Right? Anybody know, even if you love cats, you're kind of like, yeah, that's my cat. If you'll feed them, they're happy. Right? Well, pets, if you've had a favorite, even if they're gone in this season, it's good to have those presents or memories of your pets. My pet growing up was named Jack. He was a dog. He was a large mixed breed dog. Very large. I got Jack when I was in first grade and he lived well into my college years. And so we had a lot of relationship together. When I was little, we'd play and wrestle together and yet he never built, bit my head off. We went hunting together though he had not a drop of hunting dog pedigree in his pool. And boy was he fast. I love Jack. When I was growing up where we lived, we didn't have neighborhoods. Like some of you have neighborhoods like walking across the driveway to your neighbor and like, can we come play? We didn't have that. We had church roads and gravel, or church driveways and gravel roads connecting houses that were miles apart. And so when I wanted to play with friends, I'd have to bike a mile or five miles or sometimes like 10 miles to get to my friend's house. And when I would do that, wouldn't you know it, Jack wanted to come along running right beside me. And so we go to a friend's house and play. And there was this one day we're playing at a friend's house and it was time to go and I couldn't find Jack. He might have been playing with some of their dogs Maybe he was chasing a squirrel, but he wasn't around. I said, I got to go. I'm going to be late getting home. And so I headed on home thinking he'd find his way or hoping he would. Well, a couple of minutes down the road, I looked back and sure enough, Jack was running to catch up with me. And I was like, well, you come on. And so I had just crossed what was the major thoroughfare through Mentone, Alabama. Alabama Highway 117. And at that moment, I saw Jack come and I also saw a, one of the 46 cars that came through Mentone each day lining up at that very moment. And so I looked back and said, stop to Jack. Thinking he'd know what that meant, right? And I don't think he did. I think he thought, oh, I better hurry up. And so he sprinted even faster. And wouldn't you know it, as he hit that intersection, that car came and boom, hit Jack. Ugh. It's awful because it was like sent him sailing to where I was on the other side or towards my side of the street. And I was like, oh, no. What's happened to Jack? And so I pedaled back to where he had landed and I went up with my 12-year-old self and gave the best dog first aid I knew how to do, which was mostly just yelling at the car that had hit him, even though now I know there was not much, if anything, they could have done. So as we're yelling at them and as I'm, what do you do to help a dog that's been hit at 50 miles an hour? 
Jack's head perked up. I was like, hey, buddy. And about a couple of moments later, Jack stood up. And then just a couple of moments later, Jack starts jogging down the road towards the house. And just a couple of moments later, he's in full sprint. And that sucker beat me home that day after he got hit by a car at 50 miles an hour. Now, Jack was a loyal and dedicated dog. I love Jack. I think Jack loved me. Whenever he would stand next to me, pet, he'd take that one foot and wrap it. How did dogs do that, you know? It was a beautiful relationship. Some of you have had those beautiful relationships with dogs. Loyal, dedicated. But today we're going to talk a season sanctification. And that word may mean something to you. Some of you may be like, I never heard that before. There'll be a new one for me today. Some of you may have heard it before and think, I think I know what that means. Some of you may have thought it meant one thing. And when we talk about it, it's like, oh, I didn't know what that meant. And so we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about sanctification. But I'll give you a clue. It's something like loyalty and dedication that those who've had a dog, maybe a cat, that'll follow you anywhere, have experienced. Let's look now to the Bible and what it teaches about sanctifying the season. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians. Without looking on the screen, try to spell that real quick. That's a long word. Thessalonians chapter 5. It is a, an epistle. It's just a word for a letter written by the apostle Paul. We think it was written around 50 AD. And Paul wrote it while he was in the town of Corinth, Greece, writing to the church that met in Thessalonica, also in Greece or Macedonia, modern day Greece. And he's writing to the church he had recently been at and reminding them, the opening parts of the book, remind them of the persistence in faith that they'd exhibit while he was there. And then how they continue that on has been reported to him by Timothy who had just come from there. And now he's writing back to them to remind them of those things and to help them have the persistence to live in a world or in a local environment that was persecuting them. And so he introduces this concept of the second coming or reminds them of that. And said, so this is what we've got in the long term. And in doing that gives them hope to maintain their faith. To live a life of love and of holiness so that they're ready when that second coming of Christ is returned. Let's look now in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read chapter 5. Begin reading in verse 16. I'm reading the New Living Translation. If you click the link on the um, text back, it should open up being there. Be the New Living Translation or NLT. If you want to switch your app to that, you can follow along. The word should also be on the screen. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 24. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 19. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said and hold to what is good. <clears throat> Stay away from every kind of evil. Verse 23, now 
May the God of peace make you holy in every way or sanctify you. And may your whole spirit and soul be and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. This is the word of God for the people of God and we say, Thanks be to God. Well, in this passage in verse 23, Paul hits the kind of culmination or the summit of the message when he says, God will make you holy in every way. That term holy is from the Greek term in the original New Testament, agios. And it's translated here, holy in every way, in other English translations like the New American Standard Bible as sanctify. And that's the the term or kind of key point we're going to look at today. Agios or sanctify means to dedicate to the service of and to loyalty to a deity. To consecrate or set apart or be dedicated to God. Feels a little bit like a good dog that's dedicated to you. If you've had a dog, that's an honorable term. The emphasis is on that dedicate to the service and loyalty of the deity. Not so much a moral behavior code, but observances of activity related to God that draw you closer to God. Not a list of don't do's so much or avoid evil or avoid following the devil, but a list of do's or a Uh, invitation to run with God. Sanctifier being made holy starts with your relationship with God through Jesus. It is built on that foundation and every plank and nail and wall and floor of your house of faith is built when you follow God. But if you try to build your house of faith alone or on your own, you'll never get past the ground breaking. It always crumbles down. If you follow God in every moment, he'll build your house of faith in in that journey. Be a part of transforming your heart and life into one that people say, you're not the same cat I knew back then. (laughs) Right? I knew you when... And then they'll fill in the blank, did this, did that, all ungodly things, no doubt. And now you're doing this. Loyalty and dedication to God, like an illustration of a faithful pet, is that you're always right by God's side, no matter where you go. Let's look now at this passage in more depth. If you got your sermon outline in the worship bulletin or if you open the app online. It's a place for you to fill in these blanks or to take notes. might be helpful to you to know and apply these points to your life as we see how to sanctify the season. Number one, sanctify your attitudes. Sanctify your attitudes. First Thessalonians Chapter 5, verse 16 reads, Always be joyful. Always be joyful. Now, some of you are going to love that verse because it's short. 
Joseph and the youth have this thing where each week they, or I don't know, it may be every couple of weeks, but they have a thing where they have to memorize memory verses or verses of the Bible, read the chapter, the whole chapter around it, and then memorize it. Youth, this is a good one to do that, <laughs> right? Always be joyful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, got it, boom. That's a free one over the holidays. But verses 16 through 18 are kind of a list of what God commands you to do in order to be sanctified. In fact, in verse 18, he concludes, it says, for this is God's will for you. The late Zig Ziglar, anybody ever heard of him? It's maybe a few generations he was very popular. Zig once said, it's your attitude, not your aptitude, that will determine your altitude. Does that make sense? So your attitude will affect how high you can rise, not so much your aptitude or talent. And that rhymes, and so it must be right, <laughs> right? But it's also, it's seemingly true. Like you see that in the world. If you've ever played sports, the one that had a crummy attitude seemed to always let the team down, no matter how talented they were. That's true in our kids' sports, in college, even to the pros. You got to have a great attitude that impacts not only sports, but our relationships. If you got a crummy attitude in your marriage, it won't be good. If you got a good attitude in your marriage, by golly, I bet you it will be good. It also affects your career. It's true of our faith journey as well. Have a joyful attitude that's not dependent on the circumstances or the happiness they produce. Be joyful no matter what the circumstances because of your contentment with God. At the bottom of this slide, there's a, a Greek term. The Greek term for joyful. The original New Testament is kiro. Kiro. So if you want to take that note, there's a blank. You can write that in there. These are not the Greek letters, but we use the English letter to substitute. So the Greek letter is the X or key or chi, you might have heard it called, and so forth. And so the English transliteration is kiro. And kiro means to enjoy a state of well-being, to rejoice and be glad. And Paul wrote in an earlier epistle, or earlier in the, the Bible, in Colossians 1.24, he says, I rejoice, or I'm kiro, or joyful, as I suffer for you while he was in prison, writing to the church in Colossae. Are there times in your life where you've been unhappy? Anybody? Can you have joy or rejoice in that? Well, maybe not, unless you have God. There's times and places I'm not very happy or I wouldn't really pick to be. One of those places is the carnival. Do y'all know carnivals? Now, I'll, I'll tell you, I've changed on this. When I was growing up as a kid, In fact, where I grew up, they'll do this where y'all were growing up. On Tuesday of the week of the county fair, they'd give kids a day off from school and a pass to get into the county fair. Perfect. Love it. Not so much anymore. 
For now, it costs too much. About two-thirds of the rides make me sick. And I cannot unsee the pile of bolts and nuts that are next to each ride. <laughs> right? If you know, you know. But I do go to the carnival from time to time because people I love like to go. I'm like, fine, I'll go with you if, I don't, if there's no other way. But I found there's one thing at the carnival I can't enjoy. Do y'all know churros? Y'all know these things? Mmm. 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 Oh, no, you might die over there. Go ahead, ride that. <laughs> What's that smell? I don't know. It's a carnival. <laughs> right? But when I go to a carnival, if I can find me a churro, and it's this extruded bread dough that they deep fry and put on cinnamon and sugar. These are not as good. These were Publix frozen freezer section, you know. air fried them this morning. I would share them with you, but I don't know if it would make your experience of church any better. <laughs> Anybody hating being here right now on a churro? Need you to get it through? It's be like, I'll see you after. Yeah, I saw you. Come on, we'll get it after. But that experience is not where I want to be. If I can get me a churro and get some of that mm, in my belly, it's a good experience. Not because of what else is going on, but because of that. And God's presence offers you the kind of contentment a good churro does for me at the carnival. No matter what the circumstance is, I can have some joy if I've got God in my life. Y'all know the story of Paul. He was arrested right in the middle of God's will, but being punished and arrested and persecuted. He says, I can have joy. In a contrasting story, excuse me, should have brought my, oh, I do have a drink. Get this churro digested here. In a contrasting story to that, y'all remember the story of Adam and Eve? You know where they were? Paradise! Everything you can conceive of happiness and what they do. They don't, not good enough. They don't want to follow God's will. We're going to pick the devil instead of God. You can be content no matter the circumstance. And you can be discontent if you're not following God in the perfect circumstance. And so this passage, part of being sanctified or following God, loyally dedication is having joy or having an attitude of joy. Sanctify your attitudes. Excuse me. These are up here if anybody needs one to help them get through the Christmas season. <laughs> Number two, sanctify your habits. Sanctify your habits. Verse 17, another good one for memorization. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. This is another one of the, the responses to the why in verse 18 because it's God's will for you. And so in writing this letter, Paul gives three commands. In verse 16, be joyful. Number 17, don't stop praying. Number 18, always be thankful. Why? Because it's God's will for 
you as a pastor, and you might get this as a Christian or as a church goer, people come to you and say, man, I wish I could know God's will for my life. You ever asked that or been asked that? Like, I wish God, is sometimes folks, maybe you've said this, I wish I could get a sign, know God's will. Well, my quick response is true. It may not sound as compassionate as from help from Pastor Rick Warren. It says, you don't need a sign, you need a scripture. You want to know God's will, you don't need a sign, you need scripture. And scripture says, it's God's will that you, what, be joyful, pray, and be thankful. If you want to know God's will for your life, if you want to participate in God's will for your life, participate in what Methodist theology is called the means of God's grace. Those things ordained by God that God's presence and grace shows up in. These are things like, oh, prayer, reading scripture, giving, fasting, acts of love to serve God and others, holy conferencing or accountability, with other Christians, the sacrament of Holy Communion and Baptism, to name a few. It's in those practices we experience God's provenient, saving, and sanctifying grace. That's God's will for us to participate in those, and we'll know those. And so I put a generic term for that, habits, habits, right? Do you have the spiritual habits? Are you participating in God's means of grace to know his will? If you're doing that, the Bible promises that God will show you and equip you to do his will. Sanctify your habits. Number three, sanctify us by the Spirit. Sanctify us by the Spirit. Verse 19 begins, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 through 22 is a kind of avoid these things or else you won't experience the grace of God. And if you'll do what verse 16 through 18 does and avoid these things or avoid doing these things that are counter to that, you will receive the fulfillment, what was in verse 23, sanctified entirely. There's a Greek term there for spirit. If you want to write in the blank, pneuma, P-N-E, U-M-A. That's a transliteration of the Greek term pneuma, and that's spirit. The Faith Life Study Bible says that Greek word for spirit refers to the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity of God. The New Testament uses the imagery of fire to describe the working and presence of the Spirit. And so Paul uses this term quenching to describe the idea of you resisting the Spirit's work in you and among other believers. If you want the power of God's Spirit in your life, in your church, you must resist the urge to throw your Debbie Downer bucket of water of pessimism on God's Spirit when the Spirit is moving. You may ask, well, how can little old me... Stop God's spirit. Isn't God's spirit and God all powerful? Yes, but God gives you free will. Even when the spirit's moving, you can say yes to God's spirit or you can say no. And whenever you say no to God's spirit, he goes, okay. Okay. 
You don't want to move. You don't see a powerful movement in your life, in your church. Okay. And for sure, you won't experience the power of God's Spirit in your life if you say no to God's Spirit. And the, the bad news is you can also douse the Spirit for those around you. Right? Your pessimism, your negative, your denying God's Spirit's movement can be a work against God's Spirit movement in others. They'll be like, oh, okay, well, I'll just, I'll say no too. Right? Kind of like that peer pressure thing or like we kind of tend to follow in groups. And so as a church, we suffer whenever you or someone else says, nope, 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 no spirit for me. But church blossoms or engages in the power of God's spirit when you say yes and you say yes and you say yes and God's spirit empowers you with fire, with power to live the full will of God, and that inspires somebody else that says, give me some of that. God's Spirit, what do you do? Yes, and then it builds. We see that in the revival movements. Methodist movement had a revival at Asbury College last winter. I saw an effect in my life. Some of you were praying and, and crying watching those services and being impacted by that. It impacted the country. They said churches grew more in 2023 than they have in a decade. I think those two things go together. When people say yes to God's spirit, it not only impacts you, but it impacts those around you, those in your family, those that you'll see at Christmas this year, the church you attend and the community in which you live in the world God has called us to reach if we say, yes, I want the Spirit's power in me, we get a choice in that. Well, we say yes to God, I want to be sanctified this season. I want to say yes to being fully dedicated, fully loyal, fully yes, Lord. What's next? Well, we resist. It's the work of the Spirit in you, in the church, to work with willing people. People of faith to bring you and to bring others into the full dedication and loyalty and service to God. Above all else, above all the distractions, above all the hurt of a disappointing holiday season, above all the loneliness you may experience, above all the busyness that you may feel obligated to. Would you say yes to God's spirit in you this Christmas? Let's pray. God, thank you so much. So much for your presence. It will celebrate tonight. Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you so much for your church and the, the people that you have brought together to be a part of your purpose. God, I pray that you would help us in having a joyful attitude to <laughs> that doesn't depend on the circumstance, that is dependent on you. At the worst family get-together or the get-together that nobody came to this holiday season. At the best Christmas present or the one, not again, socks. God, give us your joy. 
We can have joy no matter the circumstance. God, I pray that you would work in us to be people who participate with you in the means of grace. Let us now and into 2024, let it be a point of change, a break point from what we've done to what we will do. That we will consistently participate in what you show up and transform our hearts. God, not so much a, a moral behavioral standard, but one that transformed our hearts and people can't help but notice how it's changed our lives. God, let us do this. Do this in us and through us. Through our yes to your Holy Spirit's movement. I pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy and resurrected incarnate name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love for you to visit us in person at 8.45 a.m. for modern worship or at 11 a.m. for traditional worship. If you would like to plan a visit, simply text the word CONNECT to the number 205-772-4906 and you'll be sent a link to get you started. Thanks again and God bless.